Grapple fans, and welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something, as myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, continue our journey to try and watch every match that we can find that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And we've just entered the 2010s after such a long, long wait to get to another five-star match. And it's not like the buses where you wait for ages and two come along at the same time, but in relative terms, it's a fairly short wait for us as a mere nine months after the previous match between CM Punk and John Cena got five stars we are back in CM Punk's old stomping ground and the location for the fourth five star match for this promotion out of the previous six matches and the mat as Simon's slowly dying, he can quickly explain to us what match are we talking about, Simon? We are uh, talking about the unbreakable Michael Elgin taking on the American Wolf, Davy Richards. For the Ring of Honor World Championship, it is six years to the day of the previous five-star match to be offered by Ring of Honor, which was the Dragon Gate exhibition. So yet again, we're in that WrestleMania weekend mode as they're basically making a sort of a shop window presentation to any travelling fans there for um, the upcoming WrestleMania event, which would have been WrestleMania 24, where CM Punk will be winning the first of his two Money in the Bank uh, briefcases, actually, if I'm getting my maths right. Yeah, I think you are indeed. Mm. So, uh, no, wait, I'm well off. Of course I'm not, because he would have got the briefcase. What the fuck? Why didn't you correct me? No, I think he did get the briefcase at 24. Yeah, but this is 28, because we've already just talked about the match many years after 24. Ah, yes. Where he won the WWE title. Wow. As you can tell, uh, we we dropped the ball there. Yes, man, aren't you, Simon? Of course, yes, yes, I say, yes, except yes. when it comes to women in the workplace. Oh, could you piss off with that? <laughs> I'm going to get stabbed. Apologies, uh, we're talking about, the, so a, a day later or so, CM Punk is making his probably his most high-profile WrestleMania match to that point, where he was defending the WWE title against Chris Jericho, that's what we were talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, how shite that feud was. <laughs> You're a bastard. Anyway, um, what? So Simon, Ring of Honor looks a fair bit different now to what it had done before. This is no longer the Gabe Sapolsky era. He was uh, moved out of the promotion a few years ago. Nor was it the subsequent Adam Pearce era where he took over in the booking of the promotion. We are now in the Jim Cornette run period of Ring of Honor, a time when uh, one of the more um, critical figures of that time, Austin Aries, referred to it as Smoky Mountain of Honor. <laughs> and um, I don't, I don't hate what Jim Cornette was doing. I think he was trying to adapt it and change its philosophy, but I think he was going too much against what the fans wanted, uh, especially in his treatment of characters like Kevin Steen and El Generico and Colt Cabana. Uh, they'd just been engaged in like the best feud of the previous year. 
and then Jim Cornette really didn't like any of them particularly in their characters and the super serious presentation he wanted. But the one thing I remember of Jim Cornette Ring of Honor that always stuck in my craw, and it's a very strange thing to be annoyed by, but annoyed I was, that silvery curtain that they used for their entrances. <laughs> it was like an 80s game show. Well, if there's nothing more 80s, anything more 80s than Jim Cornette, I'm yet to see it. Uh I remember I saw Jim Cornette uh, as Jim Ross's um, guest with uh, live with Jim Ross at the House of Blues after WrestleMania 32. And a question about Kevin Owens came up and he seems actually sort of justified. It's like, yeah, I said like things that like, oh, Kevin Steen needed to lose weight and do that and blah, blah, blah. And everyone like, you know, slagged me off at the time. But he went to WWE. He did those things. And now look at him. <laughs> Yeah, but it was in WWE. He'd already the, the problem was that Kevin Steen had already become mega popular in Ring of Honor without doing those things. Um, mm. Basically, Jim Cornette couldn't deny it after a while because Jim Cornette was trying desperately to make Davey Richards the guy, um, and the fans never really. T- I think the most obvious symbolic example of that is when Davey Richards does make his entrance in this match. He gets a grand total of. Four streamers thrown for his entrance. Yeah, oh God. It's one of those things, streamers. Either do it properly or don't bother. It's Jesus, like, that looks sad. It's like I've been to a few comedy shows and theatre shows where one or two people give it a standing ovation. But <laughs> then oh. Because the rest don't, in, in a weird way, it's worse than if one per, if no one gave it a standing ovation. It's like when people clap at the cinema. I've seen that once in, in Britain. Uh, and that I'm told it's an American phenomena. Uh, I saw it once in Britain, and it was just one person who did it, and it was the most horrible, horrible thing in the world. But it least, just felt so cringe. But at least the people who made that film didn't have to witness it. True, true. So, so I'm reminded of Stuart Lee when he did a joke, um, like one or two people applauded it in the audience, and he says, what that ultimately says to me is that my work is of artistic value to some, but not enough to make it commercially viable. <laughs> oh, that's like an existential moment right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and really, Ring of Honor was in an existential crisis at this point. Uh, I just really went off it as soon as Sapolsky left. Uh, rightly or wrongly, I weirdly attached so much of it to Sapolsky's vision as a booker that when he left, it didn't feel like it was the same promotion. And so by this point, I really kind of switched off of uh, R- uh, Ring of Honor and was just looking mm. elsewhere for my... You know, CM Punk had made WWE a lot more cool to watch. The indie scene in general was doing cool stuff outside of Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor was no longer the the one and only place. If anything, like PWG had taken it over as far as hipster credentials go and promotions like Chikara were doing much more interesting things on a storytelling front. And Japan was finally starting to pull it out as well at the time because uh, the Bullet Club was really starting to take off and all sorts of other things around this period of time. So, yeah, it's just Ring of Honor wasn't the place where you got all the great matches anymore. It wasn't the place where everyone who was worth their salt on the indie scene was having to ply their trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it... you... Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, you look at the tier of people that they're that they'd lost recently. Like, I mean, as good as the production line at Ring of Honor is, it had lost Daniel Bryan. It had lost CM Punk. You know, uh, those... Nigel McGuinness. Yeah. Um, 
Samoa Joe, Tyler Black recently at this point. Uh, Austin Aries had gone because of fallings out with Jim Cornette around this time. Um, so many talent was like held to TNA or elsewhere. And that's why Michael Elgin, to be honest, was being put in this position. This was a real sort of a coming out party for him in this match. That yeah. it was a bit of an odd choice to have be the defend, be the challenger for Richards' belt at this point. Um, after Richards had won it off of Eddie Edwards, and there'd been sort of a hot potato situation after Tyler Black signed with the WWE, where it went to uh, Roderick Strong in a bit of a surprise, and Roderick Strong lost it to Eddie Edwards. And Eddie Edwards lost it to Davey Richards. Davey Richards had been groomed for the longest time to be the heir apparent to Tyler Black. But as is often the case, weirdly, around this time with Ring of Honor, they weren't pulling the trigger at the right time for the champion to win it. Because Tyler Black should have won it like a few champions before he did. But Mm. it was the moment that actually led to Gabe Sapolsky's firing when um, uh, the owner decided he wanted to give Jerry Lynn the title to sort of work with their... To join to to go with their work that they were doing on the, the wrestler movie with Mickey Rourke, he saw oh. Jerry Lynn as like the closest to a Randy the Ram that they could sort of do a mirrored storyline. Oh, I hate it when they do things like that. When people copy other people, what's hot? Oh, ugh. so yeah, that was when Gabe Polsky left and and Adam Pierce took over. And like I said, Adam Pierce took a back seat. And at this point, Jim Cornette's booking with Delirious, and Delirious still has. Uh, booking control over Ring of Honor at this point. So I guess he's been in that position for even longer than Gabe Sapolsky was at this point. I mean, it's crazy to think Ring of Honor is now 17 years old. It's like more than twice the the age that ECW was when ECW died. But I think this is also, if I'm not mistaken, the very last match that Ring of Honor gets five stars from Dave Meltzer. Uh, I can't see any other ones. Uh, yes, I'm correct. As is always the case. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible shiver down my spine right there. Except Uh, when remembering what CM Punk was doing at WrestleManias. (laughs) Um, to go back to the match itself, Mm -hmm. what I found weird about the presentation of Michael Elgin pre-Bell was that manager that was with him. Yeah, Truth Martini. Yeah. He was sort of a cult leader, inspirational talker. His big weapon was a hardback book. Yeah. See, I sort of got a Vegas magician vibe from him. Yeah, it was a weird haircut. It looked kind of rinky-dink. It didn't look yeah. very... Not like Don Callis when he did his. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't look a million miles away from Don Callis when he was Cyrus the Virus. Um... But yeah, to the match itself, I must be honest, I've never been the biggest Davy Richards fan. He's always been competent, but I've always found it like... It's a copy of a copy, in a weird way, with, with Davy Richards. It's always felt to me that he's not, everything he's doing is like... Inspired by Chris Benoit, inspired by Dynamite Kid. Do you know mm. what I mean? Uh, and also, maybe at, at that point, someone echoing Chris Benoit so much kind of let a not as good a taste in your mouth as as back in the day it would have done, you know? Yeah, I, I get that. And obviously the associations with like the diving headbutt and obviously Daniel Bryan having to take a few years away from the ring as well. Mm. Uh, just, there's a lot about Benoit's moveset now that you just think, 
Mm. Probably so, shouldn't have done that. Yeah, and so much of this match feels like an extended homage to strong style and Japanese wrestling, and not really imprinting their own personality into it. It you know, does like, feel it. It. I feel they execute it well, yeah. but it does feel a bit like uh, cl- one of the just those classic plug and play yeah. wrestling storylines of obviously like heel big man um, taking on like quicker smaller baby face uh, but it sort of did it in a sense where it was a little bit too obvious that's what they're doing if that makes sense you don't get immersed fully in the story you go oh it's that kind of story like it's not a match that's playing off of the crowd or making it feel necessarily even spontaneous like it is a a preset number of moves it's like how a lot of a lot of people complain about wwe matches not really being a unique story within itself, but each one doing the, bringing their usual moves together and then you just slot them in in the right sequence. Although this does have a story within it of Michael Elgin showing uh, shocking resilience and really pushing David Richards to the limit. I'll be honest, I genuinely fell asleep briefly during the first few minutes of the match. Jesus. And the crowd was kind of there with me as well, I thought, for the first few. Mm. Um, I felt that vibe. You know, like, they, they just weren't that into it. But, to give them credit, by the end, they are going, like, really crazy. But, they, yeah, so it's like... So it starts off with David Richards attacking early, knocking Michael Elgin to the outside and doing a tope, which is a very New Japan, you know, All Japan way of doing things and an early opening mm. flurry. Uh, Michael Elgin coming back and, and you know... Uh, and, and like there's an homage quite early on to the uh, Kent Kabashi Stan Hansen lariat in the corner spots yeah so you uh, know what I mean how it's like starting to be homages almost. yeah and obviously you've got Elgin's massively delayed vertical suplex I mean uh, Kent Kabashi didn't hold it on for that quite that long in some of the matches we've seen but but it's always, I mean, you know, uh, he's not the only person that's done the delayed vertical suplex. You know, obviously. It was yeah. Do you think famous, that was... Made famous in the West by David Boy Smith. Yeah. Um, Do you think... Because I, I get it. It's a great it's a... way of conveying strength yeah. for, like, a big man. But do you think in... I, I just felt in this case, I was thought, like, five to ten seconds too long. I feel you can oh, lose... I don't, I, I, don't, I don't want to get into that kind of silly sort of nitpicky stuff. I don't, you know, surely the longer you hold it, the more impressive it is. Yeah, but the crowd can, you can, you can, you can bore a crowd. I don't recall the crowd suddenly getting bored after five seconds. No, 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 I said it was five to ten seconds too long. Yeah, I don't Not... recall the audience getting bored in the last five to ten seconds. Nah. I think, I think you're looking for issues that are affecting you on a, on a lower, on like a subconscious level. And trying to look for the right things within the surface of the match to match your issues. But I don't think that's one of the ones to go for, personally. But, you know, I can't tell you how to have an opinion, no matter how many times I try. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I just felt it was just a little bit too long. Well, you know, tell Michael Elgin that. I'm sure he'd appreciate the, uh, <laughs> the advice. I'm sure he's an avid listener. It's mm. fine. Uh, Michael Elgin's an interesting one as well. well. I mean, he's also a bit of a scumbag from all stories of recent years have, have revealed. War Machine certainly don't have anything nice to say about the man. Um, uh, but he's got that barrel-chested powerlifter look. 
yeah. that meant he was going to go down quite a storm in, in New Japan for several years. You know, he was a mainstay in New Japan uh, right up until the start of this year. Um, now he's really a, an impact wrestling mainstay for the most part. Uh, but he's got that wide, squat, powerful look, you know? Mm-hmm. Only 24 sort of. at this point. Although he certainly looks older and the, the hair's already... Uh, going. Going. Yeah. He's sort of... Um, he's got obviously that kind of Rusev build, but slimmer. Mm. Slimmer? Uh, I would have said he's chunkier than, than Rusev, especially Rusev now. Hmm... I don't know. Well, well, well. As Rusev just seems like square, whereas Elgin seems like V. If you see what I mean, body shape wise. Really, but I'll take your word for it. Just, um, it's just his, his shoulders are a bit more broader than his waist. Is what I'm saying. Just okay. a little bit more broader. Okay. Um. So yeah, it's just quite a lot of stuff we've seen many times before, like uh, forearm exchanges, uh, exploder suplexes, wrist clutches, running knees, strike. You know, more strike exchanges. Um, headbutts, superplexes, G- German suplexes, lariats, submission holds, and like, you know, look, that's what wrestling is in a weird way. It's like I'm saying, oh, move, 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 pin, you know, but. Yeah. I think, without wanting to sound too presumptuous, I think what you're trying to say is we've seen a far better version of this exact source of style, and it's it's difficult to. More emotionally investing, I think. Yes, yes. I'm trying to find in my notes when the crowd gets into it, because I did make a note of that, and I'm just trying to look through them. Uh, Kimura elbows, sunset flip, Michael Elgin blocks a sunset flip uh, into a powerbomb and a German suplex. Uh, There's a top rope dragon suplex, I think that might be the moment. Yeah, that gets a big pop from the crowd. So yeah. Which which was, you know, a spot that we saw then in the uh, first Okada Omega match at the Tokyo Dome. So, so at that point, when they just start throwing the big, heavy-duty bombs, it's still, you know, a relatively new thing to see in wrestling at this point, uh, especially for some people in the crowd. So the crowd does get into it. So really, they 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 achieve what they set out to do. You yes. Know? And, and also, it does make Michael Elgin look like a badass. Um, Michael Elgin hits Chaos Theory at one point, which is a move I always love watching. Um, but yeah, yeah, like... Richards hits him with kicks, and then Michael Elgin does a fired up like comeback, and then you know, so he has to give him more Kawada kicks, and Elgin's responding with knees. Um, Elgin gets a cross face in. Um, Richards reaches the ropes, then he hits a double stomp on the apron, which is a nasty looking move. And he once had a match with Paul London where he did that spot, and because of like the sweat, he basically slipped, and oh. he was just kicked Paul London very hard in the face and caused a really nasty concussion. Oh. Because you've got really nowhere to go Yeah, at that point um, if you get that wrong. Yeah. Like, there's no, it's not like if you do it into the ring, you can roll somewhere quite quickly. You can roll somewhere, but you've got much more of a far further drop compared. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Michael Elgin hits a spinning back fist and a spinning power bomb That gets a long two. Then he goes for a cross face. Which Richards reverses into an ankle lock. Um, I'm, try- I'm trying to figure out what I wrote here. It reads like chesty non-tap. <laughs> I don't know what that means. 
Uh, well, my notes from around that point is Elgin does eventually escape from the ankle lock. Uh, Davy then hits the uh, Shining Wizard. Yes, because Elgin can't stand up. Yeah. Like, his, you know, his ankles hurt too much. So good psychology there. And then we get Fighting Spirits because Michael Elgin kicks out at one. Yeah. And uh, spits in Richard's face. So Richard hits him with some kicks. That gets a long two count. So he just goes back and kicks him a few more times. And that gets the three. Which... <sighs> I really... I don't mean to sound so negative. These guys worked really, really hard. And the crowd got into it. And it was a well-wrestled match. I don't know if it's maybe just that we got so jaded at this point. I don't know if it's my... Maybe bitterness towards how uh, Ring of Honor turned out around this period of time compared to the Ring of Honor that I loved only a few years earlier. Mm. Um, maybe it's just that I have issues with Davy Richards and, to a lesser extent, Michael Elgin as performers. Okay, because I, I, I feel a bit blasé about this match, but not obviously for the same reasons as you. I wasn't watching Ring of Honor at that time. I feel blasé about it because, uh, I alluded to it earlier on, We've seen better versions of this style of match. Yeah, so maybe if you're not watching countless five star matches uh, uh, in the year, in the six, uh, the eight months building up to this, it won't look so bad to you. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. You can put matches from different eras against each other, and sometimes it'll stack up. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes the older ones will age. Sometimes the newer ones just won't seem as impressive. I think maybe this one, like the Joshi matches, hasn't aged as well. Yeah. you've come to expect more on a, on a psychological level than this yeah. match offers. Like, it's very surface-level deep psychology. Yeah. But it's not actually as deep as you think it is. Yeah, as, a, as I... As a, quote myself again it's a very much a plug and play mm. uh like storyline within well, the match that they never really expand upon if the key thing of the match is to make michael elgin a bigger star without him winning the title they succeeded there yeah and elgin does basically become the top baby face of the promotion a while after this and ends up winning the world title off of adam cole baby. Uh, a few years after this um, but again, like another example of... And again, that was kind of... He had to wait so long that it sort of petered out in popularity by the time he won the belt. And then he was uh, it was taken off him relatively quickly uh, to Jay Briscoe because he did the Battle of Los Angeles tournament in PWG at the time and lost, I think, to someone like Trevor Lee and right. at, whilst working as Ring of Honor champion. And really, the Ring of Honor champion is supposed to be protected around... like. Samoa Joe wasn't losing to anyone on any indie show around whilst he was Ring of Honor champion when Gabe's Polsky was in charge. So mm. they uh, they they uh, found that very frustrating management and took the belt off of him. And pretty soon after that, he was gone from the promotion and had a bit of a a struggle. I remember him like saying he was him and his wife were struggling at the time. And uh, then he, New Japan came calling just at the time he needed them, and that helped sort of rehabilitate his uh, image. But that image has taken a tarnishing in recent years again. So, um, so where he'll end up in the next few years, I don't know. But um, he's, well, he's, he's very talented. He's on Impact Wrestling at the moment. He's got the body shape to always attract promoters, uh, and he he did wrestle well in this match. It's just that's all. It, it was just well, and that sounds like we're being like overtly like negative, but. Compared to the stuff we have been talking about, it it, it just doesn't stack up. Mm. 
Still very good. But yeah. quite obviously, I'm not giving it five stars. Uh, well, I think I've already telegraphed mine as well. Uh, I'm not giving this five stars either. So this is the last Ring of Honor match, and I just don't know if we're ever going to see Ring of Honor provide... It again, they just have never felt... I mean, it was really like their partnership with New Japan. that, Like, when, when they did the Madison Square Garden show at the WrestleMania weekend, and it was just like everything yeah. that was Ring of Honor didn't really work, and everything that was New Japan very much worked, and now New Japan are doing tours in America without Ring of Honor's involvement. So... Mm-hmm. Where... And... Um... Obviously, have recently done a card in the UK as well, mm, mm. and also Ring of Honor are now uh, owned by Sinclair Broadcasting Systems. Who you just need to watch John Oliver's takedown of that company to know that it's not a kind of group of people I want to be giving my business to. Uh, really, well, it's not like Ring of Honor's generating a lot of business at the no. moment. Um, well, we are sadly seeing pictures of very empty arenas during Ring yes. of Honor cards and, at the uh, time of some, recording. Some of the practices of Bully Ray, Bubba Ray, uh, as one of the key um, creative forces backstage now has also led to some bad PR for the company. They're, 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 in a, they're in a rut at this point, and given the very shifting sands of wrestling... What what they'll be going forward is every, anyone's guess. But I'm going to ask you uh, a philosophical question mm-hmm. in the sense. Well, maybe I've put I put the wrong adjective to it. Do you think Ring of Honor's problem is someone else is doing Ring of Honor but better in the form of NXT right now? NXT PWG they took the Ring of Honor mold and and did basically when Ring of Honor became a TV company they completely had to reinvent themselves and. Mm. They also weren't... The, the indie scene was such that, you know, it wasn't just... Like, Progress, all these other people that really took the super indie idea and just started doing it better than Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor can't really claim to be indie when you're owned by a mega multi... Uh, you know, not multinational, but super local, hyper-local TV company. Network. Like, billion-dollar company. Yeah. So they're neither fish nor fowl. They're not a big promotion in the sense that they can compete with the WWE. They're sort of de facto the number three biggest promotion for the longest time. Uh, but now, like you say, with Impact... Well, not with Impact, but with AEW and New Japan and... You know, uh, whatever Impact continues to do as it, as it tries to reinvent itself as like a mini-territory, I don't know what Ring of Honor is. Um but to no, just gonna... be able to exist for 18 years is incredible. Yeah. And the Briscoes are still there. <laughs> well, considering them, them, uh, some of their views mm. uh, on certain um, um, sections of society, that's probably like their ceiling is Ring of Honor. Right. So that's been our final Ring of Honor episode. I, I, I think some people who are like diehard fans, though I don't know how many of them there are anymore. Uh, oh, well, there are a lot of fans of Die Hard, but of Ring of Honor, <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Yeah, but so. Ring of Honor is very much in, like, Die Hard, live free or Die Hard period quality uh, now at this point. Uh, but if people uh, want to get in touch with you about Ring of Honor, Die Hard, or anything else, what can they do, Simon? <clears throat> they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of times I had to look at uh, Truth Martini uh, during the entrance and think, what exactly is he going for fashion-wise here? Okay, my name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for American, N for 
the N at the end of Elgin. That's my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram account. If you want to get in touch with me uh, via Twitter, that's also my Twitter account, letterboxed and the like. If you want to give me an email, put an at gmail.com at the end of it, and that's how you can get in touch with me there. If you want to get in, show with the sh- uh, in touch with the show or in show with the touch, then you can get in touch with us via email at bowobpod... Sorry, at lntyspod at gmail.com. I was cross-promoting there. He was. And... Uh, and Bowob Pod on our Twitter account. Our and that's next... for Bowob Pod. LNTYS Pod is our Twitter account. So if Ring of Honor dominated the past decade insofar as it got four out of six matches that got five stars, we are now truly entering a new era of five-star dominance by one promotion with our next match. Simon, who are we covering next? Uh, we are covering... Um... Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Minoru Suzuki on the 8th of October 2012 for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. That's right, baby. It's a new Japan world out there, and we've got our subscriptions. We do. And when we finally navigate our way through the pages, we'll get them, we'll watch the match and talk to you about it. So we'll see you again in 2022. But until then... <laughs> There's nothing left for me to say except my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.